right, Nate. We are we're live, man. How are you doing today? I'm good, Zach. How are you? I am doing I'm doing pretty well, man. I have a seven month old son who's sleeping a little bit better these days. And so I don't know, he like slept for like a five, six hour stretch last night. And so I, I feel like I'm on, you know, I've had like six cups of coffee or something like that. So I'm ready and excited for this conversation. That's huge. I have a 10 year old triplet boys. We were at that point with seven month olds all at the same time. Jeez. And, um, and you're still alive to tell I the tale. I am, but my sleep has never recovered. <laughs> uh, I, I seriously still can't sleep through the night. It just has com been completely wiped from my hard drive. <laughs> Wow. things I can do. So I hope that doesn't happen to you, but it sounds like it's heading in a good direction. So it, it, yeah, I hope so. Knock on wood. But then there's the whole like regression thing, right? Like where you just feel like you're out of the woods and then they're like, never mind. I'm, yep. you know, sprouting a tooth. And that's so right. now I'm going to be up for, you know, uh, all hours of the night. So, but dude, triplets. Wow, dude, that's, that's gotta be tough, man. There's gotta be like a, just a special like grace or something for people that have to deal with that. Cause that is, I mean, a blessing for sure, but also like, Oh my God, dude, like, I don't know. I, I, I can barely do it with one. I can't imagine having three at the same time. There should be. Yes, <laughs> that, that's that's the correct statement. Is there always from your in-laws? The answer is no. It's, it's you should be doing it a, a certain way, no matter what. And how hard can it be? Kidding. Uh, it's been great. <laughs> well, that is a uh, that is amazing, man. I'm you're already more impressive than than I thought you were. And I thought you were impressive <laughs> already. So this is this is great. Well, Nate, there's there's a lot I want to talk about. Actually, I, I, I want to talk about storytelling and underutilized marketing channels. And then also talking, I want to have a conversation and pick your brain about the future of student recruitment and student experience. But but one of the things I like to do when I bring people on the show is to ask them a little bit about their own digital consumption habits and behavior. What, Where are you spending your digital time these days? What content are you consuming? Where are you consuming that content? Uh, and anything that might surprise listeners about uh, what you're reading or what you're watching and, and where you might be reading or watching it? The most surprising thing right now I can start right off with is I've been looking for romance novels. Okay. I don't know what it is about it. It just all of a sudden, you know, you see enough Hallmark movies on in the background in the living room. And then you're like, I kind of want to dig deeper into this and to <laughs> stuff that maybe isn't so horrible, um, but also great, like Ted Lasso says. So that is probably the most surprising. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I've been a, a podcast listener since 2009, wow. probably. Yeah. So getting to the point now in a career where I'm starting to be a guest is something that's really exciting for me. And I really appreciate and others doing that. I've been watching a lot of TV on iPad as opposed to a TV. And part of that is I, I love the captioning and just being able to control everything around it. Yeah, I'm at the age where I think my hearing isn't as good as it used to be. So there's that. And Twitter is pretty much going away for me, which is sad, but it is what it is. Yeah. And it's kind of the last thing that I check now instead of being the first. And because of that, I, I've obviously gotten into threads. And then because of threads, I've gotten into Instagram okay. where I wasn't before. So that has actually become quite addicting to, for me. And one of the really sub sub genres within Instagram that I've 
found great interest in is basketball technique coaching. Huh. Uh, I'm a, I'm an old, very poor basketball player from 20 years ago, but but still interested in it. And just seeing the quick little snippet videos are such a great example of like how to follow through on your shot or how to set up your shot or how to work on your weak hand. It's just stuff that I find really interesting. So that's kind of been my media journey in the last couple months. Well, you are you are sort of like a renaissance man or, or something because you like romance novels and then you're also looking at like how to perfect your your you know basketball techniques your your shot right which is I amazing would say, i would say make it hit the rim make is, it hit the rim yes <laughs> yep. uh dude well that's awesome i yeah it, it is funny i was talking to my wife the other day about how i feel like I've, we've learned more about how to parent from instagram reels than from like anything else and it, it's just it's silly it's like i mean the algorithm is just so freaking good right it's like they know exactly what stage of life our kid is at and just, I mean, the reels that pop up are like, hey, this is, you know, this is a better way to put them to sleep or like, hey, you know, if your kid's doing this, like try try X, Y, or Z. And it's funny, we try it and it freaking works. It's crazy. And it's just like such an easy way to like figure out how to, you know, leverage some sort of hack that other parents have figured out. So yeah, the, the Instagram algorithm in particular is is quite strong. TikTok is strong, I think str- probably stronger, but I spend less time on that than I do Instagram. But dude, that's amazing. Okay. So yeah, that's great too. Like I, I think if you if you put together like 10 of those hacks, like then you really have something going. Like it, yeah. like you'll always kind of see stuff like, eh, not for my kid, or that doesn't work. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you get five to ten of those working, and then that's freeing up other space in your head for not just freaking out all the time. Time, then hopefully just getting better from there. That that's such a good point. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been fun, man. It's yeah, it's scary at times. It's like, damn, how did they know that we were dealing with this right now? You know. Uh, but anyways, it, I want to talk a little bit about storytelling because when it when I think about storytelling, it, it's sort of the basis for for good marketing or or what should be good marketing. And one of the things that I have, I'm not the first person that has said this, lots of folks in the industry, much smarter than me, have sort of wrestled with this idea that when it comes to higher ed marketing and and student recruitment, y'all have like a plethora of stories, right, that are true, like authentic stories to leverage to promote your brand, promote your program, get people to come to an open house, whatever it might be. Whereas like most other brands, most other businesses have to invent stories, right, to sell their product and to, or and or service, right? Higher Ed has like deep uh, trenches full of stories of current students, of faculty members, of alumni, right? And yet, I think what's hard is that there are still so few like great examples that come to mind when someone says like, who are the institutions killing it on the storytelling front, right? Like, you might say maybe maybe someone will say like oh well Purdue had this thing or like Drexel did this one thing or what like there are a little bit of there are a couple examples here and there but like there aren't like the top 10 that come to mind right when when someone asks a question like this so I wanted to pick your brain as a storyteller yourself like why why do you think this is like why is it so hard for higher ed to tell stories well a great question. And I have a couple points about that, I think. So to try to keep me on track with my answers, I, I think one is that we're just asked to do too much and we say yes to too much. That's a two-way two-way street. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff just taking away from that capacity to really, instead of just 
typing up a story, it being a little bit too long, only using it in one way, not repurposing it for other channels, um, just getting it done and getting it out the door because someone wanted it. That, which kind of brings me to my other point is that, you know, the, the people that pay, pay you <laughs> most bluntly are the ones just kind of wanting you to get it out the door a yeah. lot of times. This faculty member wants and needs uh, their, their story about research told, and that needs to be done by the end of the week. And, you know, whether you had just the greatest student feature podcast ready to go and you were ready to go into round four of kind of chopping out a little bit of the fat that isn't needed you kind of just then hit publish and then go and and i would just say in general like people don't get what makes a good story hmm. i'm reminded of the story about Chappelle, the Chappelle show huh. which uh, yeah just like a complete trend-setting show yeah. for its time. And it's like, it's still never really been duplicated. I remember a story that Neil Brennan, the co-creator of the show, told on a podcast probably a decade ago. He said that after their first episode, they started getting all this all this contact into them, just saying like, wow, what a, like this show is hilarious. And they said, we don't get it. We don't get why this is funny. And then they said, try and not try like another show episode and see what happens. And they did it. And they literally, the, the executive said, we don't know what's funny about this. This isn't funny to us. But the audience was absolutely, we were all exploding with laughter, the uncontrollably embarrassing laughter at just the strangest things. Like they were hitting on just those things that, you that comedians are so good at of yeah. saying what you know is true but saying it quicker and, yeah. and saying it more obviously and in an interesting way so i always just think of that thing like you know the executives at comedy central are literally paid and probably incentivized in every possible way to create a show like Chappelle's show and they didn't know how to do it yeah. they were actually standing in the way of Neil and Chappelle making it happen. So to to expect a college president, a college board of trustees, a college administrator who oversees admissions to to get like, oh well, you know, this is funny because and this could spread because and it might not and yeah. it might completely fall on its face and be embarrassing. I've gotten to the point in my career where I'm comfortable with that. I get when people aren't, but that kind of is all of those things maybe rolled into one. And, and sometimes you have like those great ideas of telling a certain story and telling it in a really authentic way. And it's 95% positive about the university, but the part, the 5% part is a really important part to tell about yeah. a challenge that they overcame. And Sometimes that ends up in a big debate in a meeting, and then you get, you know, end up debating it with the administration or a trustee is uncomfortable with what they're seeing. And so and then so we all do what you anyone would do is just say, okay, we're, you know, we'll publish it and we're gonna move on to the next thing. Yeah. So I think that's the unfortunate situation, especially because we have so many great stories to tell, because that higher education is the most probably the most transformative thing that can possibly be purchased invested in for a person and their family like yeah. it's generation changing it's a generation changing decision and so that's unfortunate that that's 
always kind of standing in the way. Yeah. But again, uh, we as marketers, that's something we need to overcome. We need to, you know, think of better ways to to get that through, to get it approved, and to just take chances at times too. You have to have guts. You have to have guts and try things and be okay with being brought in for a talking to every once in a while. You're trying to do the right thing. You know, that's easier to say for some than others, yeah. myself included. But that really, that really is kind of my thoughts on it, I guess. No, it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And just to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, I guess uh, one of the things I've thought about is, is it because higher education in, in most contexts, right, is really like diverse in that you've got a, a university, right, is probably the most kind of like di centrally diverse place in a community, right? And, and therefore, it's a brand that has to be, if, if done well, right, and done right, it's got to somehow resonate and speak to such a vast, like, quote unquote, customer base. Uh, and you, you talked about like the trustees and, and presidents and, you know, and yet just looking at students, right, and just thinking about the vast number of students, the, their backgrounds, right, their ethnicities, their race, etc. It is just it's a it's a conglomerate, right, of, of, of individuals that have very different preferences, very different belief systems, very different identities. And so when you're trying to tell a story, right, that somehow speaks, I think the problem is everyone tries to, oftentimes we try to speak to everybody. And therefore, the, the, the content has to be watered down and quite generalized, so that in this 60 second video clip or whatever, every possible population or as many populations as possible might be able to see themselves in that in that story or in that in that content. And I wonder if I wonder if like we're entering a season where that really has to change in that like marketers are going to have to take real real risks in producing content that is much more targeted at one particular audience than another. And you know, ideally there's there's content for everybody, right? But when resources are slim, like I, I do think that the the general like 60 second campus tour with, you know, you've got every a flash of students from all different backgrounds and all different cultures. I wonder if that actually resonates in the way that people think it does or think it did. Or, or are we entering a moment where students just see right through that? And it, it it's cool. It's a cool like 60 second promo, like amp up, you know, video or whatever it whatever it is. But it's not it's not compelling in the least because it is so generalized. So like, what do you think about balancing general marketing content to incredibly specific marketing content? And how do you do that in a way that's like genuine to, to the brand of the institution? But you know, doesn't leave people out and or maybe you do need to leave some populations out and just deal with the consequences like how do you wrestle with this yeah another great question and I, I think it's one of those things that there's just like a tension between those three things that you have to balance yeah. none of those are going away and first like one of the arguments i've always made and it's been received very well at miami and i don't think i was saying anything new but showing a, a a traditionally underrepresented student does not exclude the interest of a white student mm. for example yeah. i've always heard i i've heard that in the past where it's like well we have to have a white student on there too and my own point of view is no we don't i i don't think that that 
quote unquote traditional student is going to say, well, that's not the place for me. Like everyone is so much smarter than that. And yeah. it's not just, I need to see <laughs> the person from the suburbs like me. And then the other tension there is time. Do you have time to go in and segment if it's a 30 second video, if you're going to segment a certain audience, let's just say it's STEM interests, you're interested in STEM. Yeah. And we can either show creative arts and dancing and, and theater, or we intersperse or we change those out with STEM related cool stuff to show. That takes a ton of time. Video takes a ton of time. And then I know there was a third one in there that now I can't remember, but maybe just the, the, trying to you eventually just have to get something out the door yeah. too and and that part about just taking risk like um like i said like i i, I try to think of myself i uh, as someone who would be willing to to take that risk and be willing to stand up for for what is the right thing to do there in the grand context of higher education in america but that isn't always easy. And yeah. so that that takes time, that takes energy, that takes stress, because of all those things, you know, just people that aren't as uh, well versed in marketing higher ed, and, yeah. and knowing that it's, it doesn't have to be so on the nose hmm. for people to get what you're trying to say, you can show a single student going through an experience on their first day. That's always been kind of the idea in the back of my mind for the 32nd university video I want to make for the halftime break uh, on ESPN yeah. is a single student featured maybe even in real time over 30 seconds with no no switches no no camera shot changes no anything but just to show something interesting that they're doing with even no nothing else to it yeah but like you said what we all end up seeing is a different version of the same this yeah. is uh, the unit, this is our university and yeah. here are the people in the lab and here are the people playing pickup basketball. And here are the people asking the interesting question to the professor that makes them furl their brow. And so that's just the pattern that we all fall back on at, uh, most of the time, because it's just like, well, we've tried to push this to get it to somewhere interesting. And now we just kind of need to get it out the door. And yeah. I think that's a perfectly logical thought in a in in a lot of times but when we do get the opportunity to push the whole system then we should do that to the extent that we're comfortable with it and the more you do it the more the more you get comfortable with it do you do you think that we're going to see schools taking like as you you're at a large public institution um and so maybe it's a little bit different here or in your context but like do you think that as more and more schools struggle to keep their doors open, right? And as this, you know, enrollment cliff that everyone's talking about and has been talking about for a very long time looms closer, are, do you think schools are going to take more risks with their marketing? Because like one of the things I, I think a lot about is oftentimes when I see marketing collateral from schools, it's it, that do feature students, it's fitting the students kind of like narrative into the context of the narrative of the institution, as opposed to just letting the student tell their story, right? Like it's very, very edited, it's very framed into whatever, you know, the, the institution wants the public to think uh, about them. When in actuality, right, if you're a 
school that has any sort of diversity, you've got students that have incredibly conflicting opinions politically, incredibly different belief systems, incredibly different interests. And yet, like, again, if you're on the a website of, mo of most institutions and you kind of scroll through it, look at the copy, look at photos and watch a few student testimonials, you might walk away thinking that all of these people think and believe and act the same way, right? And that, from my perspective, is incredibly problematic because like, that's not what makes like education great. That's not what makes higher ed interesting. It is the fact that, hey, you've got, you know, a Trump supporter over here and you've got, you know, somebody over here who is is from, you know, Ghana and this is the first time in the States. And then you've got someone and, and like that, that sort of diversity that you can, that can really only at least today happen in like major cities and, and on colleges, college and university campuses. Like that's what makes like higher ed so beautiful. Right. And yet it's so hard to showcase that in like, an authentic way when we're trying to attract the next generation of students, right? And and like, I I know that people much smarter than me have thought about these things and have wrestled with these things. And people like you, you know, Nate, like you, you and your team spend probably all day kind of wrestling with with these sorts of things, right? And I wonder, like, do you think higher ed's going to have to in order to compete? Are, are we going to have to be more risky and more vulnerable and with our marketing or like, like, or is the watered down approach, try to say something without really saying anything. Is that really just what we kind of have to do today, given sort of the, the current environment? Like, how do you, how do you think through these big questions? Yeah, I, I think there's two different answers there. So should universities stop being so bland and, and conformist in their marketing? Yes, they should. Will they? No, I sincerely don't think that they will. Yeah, I, I see colleges closing and going down right to the very last dollar. They're they're sending out a, a picture of the three in the tree studying yeah. with a professor. So I think it's one of those things that you see in other areas where it's just like, no, the, these places will go down without changing their thinking. And I really do think it, it is that way. And uh, it, it, it's uh, the best educational experience I've had in my life was at Defiance College, a tiny, tiny uh, university or college in Northwest Ohio that was a thousand students at the time I was there. I was only, I was a grad student there, not an undergrad. And they are struggling. They're down to, you know, maybe half that many students. Wow. I know that there are accreditation issues and everything. And so that's the thing that hurts my soul <laughs> is that, uh, is that, that, there can't be an honest conversation, you know, looking at some of the alumni stuff that I, I get from them um, is like, I'm not seeing, hey, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. might go, we might go away if you don't help us. And yeah. so if you have, you know, and there would obviously be a much better nuanced way to say that, yeah. <laughs> but it still is the same. Uh, oh, uh, you'll be proud of these students. And it's kind of that cookie cutter thing where it's like, no, I've seen the news. Like I read online, like I know what's happening. I, I need to hear it. If I'm going to give money, then I need to hear that it's maybe going to something that's not going to be gone in five years. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So that is the very real thing that I see now is that what we see in marketing is a very easy lever to switch to say, we're going to start taking risks. We're going to start shaking it up. We're going to start getting some kind of weird feedback yeah. about some of the stuff we're doing. And marketing, for the most part, at least I, I and a lot of the people that I work with, we'll take it. We'll, we'll take responsibility for it. We'll take the risk uh, responsibility, but it just doesn't make it out the door. And uh, Miami University is obviously not in that same situation, yeah. uh, but, but it wouldn't hurt anyone uh, to go down that road. And we are doing some things that are getting us heading, headed in that direction. We're doing a podcast that's really good and really personal and really dives into that student's experience and kind of the way we're talking about. But then at the same time, we still do the other stuff. We still do the view books. We still do the, you know, we kind of update a, a web page and then say there, you know, the student's probably going to find it. Yeah. And that is 100% me too. I'm not saying that that is the university and not me. And that kind of goes back to the doing too much and saying yes to too much, where instead, if we were able to say, this is our definitive goal, we need to raise applicants or inquiries by this percent in three years, or this isn't the place for you. Yeah. And if that were my only North Star that I had, I'm pretty sure I could make that happen. And I would kind of you know, appreciate that, yeah. <laughs> that cut, cut to the chase attitude of that, where at times here and at other institutions, especially where it's just like, well, what's my priority here? You know, the yeah. person signing my paycheck is saying the the faculty story, yep. which does, doesn't have zero value. Yeah. But when you sometimes try to make that case, well, there's this, and yes, it's a little theoretical, and yes, it's a little artistic, and yes, it might fall on its face. That's where, like, in, in my history, where, like, an engineering dean is just going to be, like, I came up in the engineering college world where they'll just be like, just do the stupid story. And, yeah. and you know, that, that's a little too much. So I get that, too. But that's that, again, that's the challenge that we have to solve. Yeah. Yeah, I do think I do think that there will be this elevated pressure beyond just the again over talked about enrollment cliff. Just just the fact that I mean, it, their higher ed has a major branding problem, and you know, even I know lots of people in my in my personal circles who went to great schools and their parents of kids now, and they're not sure that they you know we were, I was literally having some, a, a conversation with some buddies about whether they're whether or not they're setting up 529s for their for their kids and like literally people were like in, in the circle saying you know what? I'm, I'm not convinced i want my kid to go to college right and like these are these are from people who came from you know great backgrounds and had lots of like they have lots of privilege and like like they benefited i think greatly from from higher ed but for, in their perspective um they're not convinced of its value right and again this is something that every a lot of people have talked about all that is to say is if, if this trend continues, right, then to your point, Nate, I do think administration is going to give it a little bit more cutthroat of like, wait a second, marketing, we need you to like bring in students, right? We need you to help enrollment, enrollment management, your enrollment management teams in a much, much, much tighter capacity. Therefore, like do, do what it takes. Like it, when pain is great, people take risk until pain is great, right? A lot of people don't take risk. And so I do think that 
my, my at least my hope is for you know the de, defiance college you said is, is what it was called for, yeah. for, for the Defi- still is still, still is, is okay. to be clear so yeah <laughs> for the defiance colleges of the world like hey this is the opportunity to like to freaking take all the risk you've been wanting to take for years right like this is your moment right because if worse comes to worse right you're already headed in, in a particular direction right so you might as well try something radically different and hope and pray that maybe that makes some sort of meaningful difference and if it doesn't you know hey you we all know where the story ends right and so yeah you're probably not ending up in a different place anyway. no yeah. no no and i mean even just selfishly like if you're if, if you're a listener and you're at you're working in marketing at a school who is in a similar tough similarly tough situation even just for your own kind of professional like goals and whatnot Take, take on this risk to the extent that you are actually able to make stuff happen because that could be that could be the lever that you need to you know get that next job that you want at a different school or, or at, at, you know at, at a competitor institution even right and I think it's it's just sad when you see really talented people that are stuck in positions where their creativity is is quite limited and yet they love higher education right and they love the work and they love they love this this you know transformative space so they don't want to leave it but they also you know don't want to don't want their creativity to be like boxed in all the time you can accept a little boxing in right we know what we're getting into when we're working in higher ed but but there are limits to that and i do think that some some of the best people i know are are really struggling by those constraints right now and i'm just you know encouragement to any leaders listening to this find ways to enable those those constraints to be minimized for your team because i do think some of your best people will will probably end up leaving if if they don't feel like they're able to be to creatively challenge themselves and if they're not if they're not given enough creative freedom again within proper constraints you you know the, the talent crisis that everyone has also been talking about in the industry is only going to get worse yeah and and one more th- uh, thing about that i think all those points are are super valid i one of just the natural like psychological challenges of all of this is that we all live in the college basically i don't act i don't physically actually live there but that's all i do that's all i think about professionally i spend too much personal time thinking about it to be honest and then when you especially when you get to the the president the board of trustees and others they are their university all the time everything that's happening they know good or bad everyone they talk to is talking about the university nonstop. and you as a marketer have to convince them that no one cares about you (laughs) nobody outside of the 520 100 mile radius they don't care and if and if you say hey a cool thing is happening at your university they don't care if you told me something cool was happening at a random public university in iowa let's say yeah i don't care what tell me why i should care and People who are within that world, and that's the only world that they're in, and it, you know, and we say echo chamber a lot, but it's just it's more than just you know either political or ideological. Yeah, it's just that. And to convince someone that to get them to pay attention to you, you're going to have to stop them in their tracks. Yeah, 
with yeah. something. Yeah. And it's not going to be your tagline on a thing on on a billboard or something like that. There's a place for that, perhaps. But you're going to have to really have something somewhere that stops them in their tracks and, say, and they say, what is going on there? Yeah. And how different are they compared to uh, to other universities? And that's a that's a hard thing to do just because of the environment and then kind of the psychological thing that happens there within the entire hundreds of person staff and faculty teams that talk about stuff like this. They end up kind of saying, well, everyone knows about our Goldwater Scholar winner, right? And it's like, I bet a tenth of the people you even think know about it don't know about it. And but they saw it in the weekly newsletter that yeah. goes out internally so everyone knows it. Again, I'm as guilty of of that as anyone, but that is I think that kind of brings in a couple of those things where it's like you you have to grab their attention, you have to say something that's actually different and maybe a little bit provocative and and stop them in their tracks from what they're doing recognize that no one cares outside yeah. of your very close circle i was just at a conference and, and talked to someone from purdue which is 150 miles away from us miami university is m- maybe five miles away from the indiana border oh wow she worked at the college of engineering in uh, marketing, she did not know Miami University and Ohio existed. She was so confused by you. You work for Miami, but you work in Ohio. Are you like remote? And sincerely, and I don't blame yeah, her for yeah. that. Like that is our fault, uh, not hers. And so, it just goes to show you. I think that you know, even within your own world, yeah. people who who you would think would know don't know. Like I just want to say they don't know to yeah. every. Every time anything like that is mentioned, no, they don't. Yeah. No, they don't. And they're not gonna unless we really give them a reason to. Yeah, yeah. In higher education, it's almost impossible to truly stand out. Ology gets it. As a branding and marketing agency that focuses on education, they understand that what makes you authentic is also what makes you distinct. Ology offers award winning creative, smart strategy, innovative thinking, and expert digital marketing. Most of all, they'll help you connect with your audiences, bring your stakeholders together, and achieve the results that matter most to you. Want to find out more about how you can build a compelling brand or campaign? Visit ology.com. That's O-L-O-G-I-E.com and mention that Dustin from Higher Ed Geek sent you their way. Speaking speaking of giving them a reason to, Nate, as you as you and your team think about like marketing strategies and channels to to help achieve your your objectives as a unit what what are some of the channels that you think are like most underutilized and or like are you guys doing any experimenting right now and if so what are what do those experiments look like yeah so we're in an interesting situation in my world so i am the senior director of academic marketing for the university so we we have a vp of all things marketing and communication and then we have 
five senior directors of different areas, academic, marketing, kind of the marketing campaigns person, the news and media person, and then me and academics in another area. And we are still and have been trying to centralize everything around campus as much as possible so that we can just kind of most bluntly get get the most bang for our buck to not have a super talented director of marketing in a college of science making flyers for the next faculty talk to to show internally. And again, it's not that that has zero value. That has some value, but in the grand scheme of priorities, we can all agree like kind of where this person's talents could best be spent. That's a super messy process. It's a super emotional process. We're two years in and it's for me, I can say, I don't know if everyone feels this way. It's still a challenge. It's still a big challenge to get people to to see that. I don't think I necessarily do an outstanding job at it. I've, I've tried a bunch of different ways to do it and we have made different inroads in that in in building that team so anyway to get so i i am the director of the directors of the academic areas and one of the things we've concentrated on is email and i know everything can kind of be said about email you know they don't know uh, prospective students don't open email but then at, at times you can kind of argue it's the only chance you have at at talking to them as well. So we've focused on academic specific emails to students who are in our pipeline. And the last year, and then coming up again on this year, kind of seeing how we can best fit into the other things that are happening. And that's kind of the, the messiness of our situation. We've decided to focus on yield again to try to get students who've been admitted into a program. They then start getting specific emails about that program. And one of those, like the underutilized channels, is is podcasting. Mm. So we we have a podcast called Major Insight, and it started out in one of our colleges and our College of Education. And when I was interviewing for the for my position, I actually found that podcast and ended up up listening to every episode because wow. it was so compelling and well done. Wow. And I kind of came in and, and expected in my interview to like see the studio in the corner where where major insight is produced. And some of the people didn't even know it existed. <laughs> um, and so again, no one's fault necessarily, but that's something that I've taken and amplified fought for more resources for. And now we have a really cool thing going there where we can get students authentic stories told in in just a way that, uh, you know, you can ask follow-up questions. It's not a written Q&A. It's not the other, you know, million ways you can do that. And um, we think it's really helpful. We see the numbers doing pretty well. I still think it should be more successful and we'll we'll keep trying. But that maybe explains a little bit of something that's underutilized, just podcasting in general. What one last thing that I'll say about this too is I think I've had this kind of hypothesis floating around in my head for a couple of years now where we could do much more personal contact than we actually do. Yeah. I think that we instantly rule out let's ask for questions from the pool of applicants or from the pool of admitted students, because those numbers are in the thousands. They're in the tens of thousands. I am not convinced that we could not do it. 
if, if I could say that sentence any more awkwardly. <laughs> I think that we could put something out there, you know, whether it's a couple people manning a, a personal chat system or it's chat GPT to a, to a certain extent. Like, I think you can also do that where I've, I've heard Jamie Hunt and others talk about that, where you can start them out with chat GPT and then say, did this answer your question? If not, we're going to connect you to Tom. Yeah. Then Tom's going to answer your question. I think that would go a super far way with students and their families to be able to get that. And then I think you could then take those questions and answers and repurpose them. And FAQs have have different schools of thought now too, but to have someone be able to easily find that answer that someone looked for before, yeah. like on Reddit, uh, yep. and the way that we use Reddit for stuff like that. I think that's a big opportunity for us to at least try and, and see if we could scale that up. But the other thing that I'll say too, is just that everyone's bad at that. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm tr I, my my sight's getting worse, <laughs> like my hearing. <laughs> so I need new glasses right now. And I've tried to contact my optometrist three different times to try to schedule when I can look at frames and a fitting. And with the competition that's out there from online providers, I can so easily just end up going online. Part of me wants to support the local yeah. optometrist who's doing that. I cannot do it. <laughs> They're not allowing me to do it. The phone number doesn't work. The phone number goes to the wrong location. Oh, that yeah. person can't really answer my question. I think if places could just go through and just, you know, set their Google presence up in a way where people could chat questions to them and then they could find them and then post them and do things like that that just aren't that hard. Yeah. But higher ed, just like every other place just doesn't really do that well yeah um, so i hope i hope somewhere in there was an answer to your question no i there, there are a couple things that stand out that I, that i think are worth highlighting again here is one one just i love that you guys have this podcast right it's it's incredibly important it's a totally underutilized channel one of the one of the funny things that i don't feel like enough people know and i need to find the really strong stat that backs this up this is just like anecdotal but like my brother, he's, I guess he's a junior now in, in college, but I remember even when he was a senior in high school, him and like his buddies, I was shocked to find out how much they listened to podcasts. And I was like, I love podcasts, right? And I, I listened to several of them on a very regular basis, but I was, because we hear so much about how like Gen Z has no focus and they can't focus goldfish can like focus on something longer than gen z can and yada 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 i think the temptation is to think that young people like don't like any long-form content and don't have the patience for long-form content but i have found in in multiple conversations and i need again i need to find a, an actual stat that backs this up a little bit more holistically that like it's actually not true, right? And, and if, if, if it were true, then none of these people would be watching Netflix, right? Or like Disney Plus or, you know, streaming anything, right? Because guess what? These series that my brother will watch in like a single night, like a single setting, like the, this, that's eight to 10 hours worth of content at least, right? And so it's not that, it's not the case that younger people just have, sh you know, shorter attention spans. I think what it really is, is that be they've been given such great content and such access to such huge quantities of greatness that they don't have the patience for shitty content, right? Like, or are things that are going to, if it takes too long to get to the point, right? That that's when they, they lose patience, but that's just because they've been exposed to so much high quality content. And so all that is to say is that 
if you're in a position right now at your institution and you're looking for a, a, a new strategy or a new medium to just test some things out, try podcasting. Because the, the other cool thing about podcasting, to our earlier point, Nate, is that it is actually one of the best ways to really organically understand the nuance in someone's story, right? Like a 30 second video clip is not going to tell me much about Nate, right? But if I if I actually listen to Nate's story over the course of an hour, here, you know, your the intonation in your voice, like the you know, things that make you laugh, like in addition to your story, in, addif- in addition to the facts about you, I, I all of a sudden just immediately feel like we have a deeper connection, even though I've never met you and probably never will, right? I think that this medium can be incredibly powerful for student storytelling if if leveraged appropriately. So I just wanted to, you know, call that out because I, I think that that's, I'm so glad you guys are doing that and it's it's incredibly important. Yeah, thanks. And and it, I, I think what you said is so true too. Like, it's like the goldfish attention thing that we always start every speech with. Yeah. Like, I think that really is just like sh- showing a dot of a color and then being like, yep, they looked at it for 0.7 seconds. Like, but for a human, if you show, if you start them off with an amazing story yeah. that, that you're teasing what the end, that's really like what a lot of podcasts are like from the first five minutes that I listened to the first serial podcast, for example, the NPR yeah, produced yeah. The, the unsolved murder or kind of unsolved murder at the time, eight years ago, like I was, they could have gone a hundred episodes. And I, <laughs> I was on, as I was listening to it, I was on my other screen, like mapping out the cell towers in the, the DC metro area, <laughs> seeing if Adnan really could have been where they said he like, so that's just to your point, like it's completely untrue. And yeah. it's in every area, yeah. like Joe Rogan's podcasts yep. are three and a half hours long. Yep. And like, before he went completely insane, like I listened to those nonstop. And so if you present material that is interesting, the topic is interesting, and then it is presented in this kind of way where like, you can say like, that's what I see a lot with our students. I've I've been in the room as they've uh, done the podcast before. And our we have a student who hosts it too, who is just the absolute carbon copy of what you would want this person to be. You can tell like, she'll see in how they answered something that they have more to say about that. Mm. And you would not get that in written form. A lot of time you wouldn't get that without even being in the room with the person in that in that case, like, it's kind of like every step you take closer to that interaction makes it makes it better and better in that way. So, so yeah, but then I think it's like, you know, the the back to the old traditional thought of like, well, we're sending out these press releases, and no one's picking on, you know, they what they say about goldfish. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because you're kind of just sending them stuff about like, you know, a new cafeteria food provider. Yeah. And, you know, they're, no, they're not going to pay attention yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, yep, yeah, you nailed it. The other thing that I was going to say too, which is so, somewhat contradicts, contradicts, I should say, what I was just saying is that to, to your point about chat, right, and like being able to like find answers quickly, it's like the number of times I've heard faculty members say things like, it's, it is on the website or even staff say, no, it's on the website. Why would we need a chat bot? Like they can, it's like, you don't understand, right? These these folks grew up in in an era of instant gratification. Like think about 
the apps that we all use every single day, right? Like, and, and, and the, how we're used to dealing with companies. You brought up your optometrist, right? Like you can go to Warby Parker and they'll probably get it for you faster and quicker. And it'll probably actually at the end of the day, even cost less, right? Like, yep. and, and it's I'll just five to try on. And tomorrow. you'll have five to try on tomorrow. Yeah. And, and like yep, that, exactly. that, that, like that generation, this next generation of students, like they grew up where that was just normal. That wasn't like a benefit. That wasn't special. That's just normal. That's just how business works. Right. And so then when they encounter friction on, in the context of higher ed or their application process or whatever it is, it's like dumbfounding. Like they're not dumb. They're not stupid. It's just like, they don't understand. Wait, why, where's the chat bot? Right. Like, and it's just so funny to me that the whole, like the, the notion that, oh, well it's on the website. They just, they just need to like you know work a little bit harder to find like that is such an antiquated way of thought and it's like really the only reason it should be on your website is to help with organic search rankings and or to in, and or to please an internal stakeholder prospective students don't care right like right. They, they want answers in the medium and at the time and in the way that they want answers to their questions and if you can't serve it to them that's totally fine they're just going to go find somebody that can and and like that that that's the reality too it's like Yes, they, they, they'll they listen to long-form content if it's on an interesting topic and hosted by a character like Joe Rogan, for instance. But at the same time, like they, they, they want answers to their questions immediately so that they can take that next step in the application. They don't want to wait until you're back in the office at 9 a.m. on a Monday, right? And I yep. think that the institutions that figure out how to leverage both of these you know, nuances, and, and they're not even nuances, they're just like generational. I, I would even argue they're not even generational. All of us today have been conditioned to operate the, this way and the brands that best align with that conditioning, you can love it, you can hate it, it's just true, are the brands that are gonna succeed. And I think colleges and universities have a, a especially difficult, but also like potentially rewarding opportunity because the their core target customer, right, is are these students who are willing to try new things. They're willing to experiment, right? They're excited about the possibility of what comes after school, but they also need to be communicated to and nurtured and marketed to in a way that aligns with how every other brand in their life is communicating to them and marketing to them. And if we don't do that, I just think that that's where there's, that's where there's real trouble. So Anyway, sorry, that was a that was a long tangent there, but <laughs> no, and I and I have to add to it too, of course. Like that I I would I've tried and and I hope that we can like make that connection with those people. Like, okay, okay, when was the last time you were looking for a hair salon yeah. and had trouble finding it? Yeah. Were when you got to this page that had all this information on it that you couldn't find the very simple answer that you were looking for what did you do like and that i think goes back to their their whole world is the university world well yeah. well then they they should know that that's in the academic section yeah. of our special programs right <laughs> and that is literally the thing that we all fall into yeah. that that somehow we need to to break through and try to eliminate those second and third priorities that we're trying to do to have internal information, try to set up a, a simple intranet that can handle everything that that you need it to do. We did that well at uh, in at the University of Cincinnati in my previous job, they did it well, um, where then we could just get all that stuff off of our website. And so prospective students weren't finding like, 
computer processor requirements for fourth year computer engineers <laughs> like that that's in there and it's being it's being indexed just like anything else and so you know hopefully that that stuff can happen but people have been trying for a really long time so hopefully hopefully someone can find out how yeah yeah well Nate this has been a, a wide ranging conversation and we've you know definitely I'm like going to have to have you back on so we can we can keep talking because you you're full of cool ideas. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last question I want to leave you with before we sign off is just any any like predictions or hot takes or words of encouragement, right? Uh, you, you can pick all three or or, or one of three um, that you'd want to leave listeners with about about the future of higher ed and and the future of of higher ed marketing in particular. Let's see. I would say that. My biggest hot take is the the chat personal chat yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I keep saying thing a lot because I'm not very smart. But my hottest take is that that can happen. Yeah. And that we can, as much as we invest as a university in like territorial admissions people yeah. um, that are going to in-person meet these students in the Chicagoland area at college fairs, we can invest either in uh, third parties or in people to be those people on the other line where then like students and uh, per prospective students and their families can literally say, I'm, I'm talking to Michelle about this and Michelle's trying to find me an answer on yeah. this. I really think that that would have a huge positive effect. I think it's more doable than we think it is and that the the benefits of it would just spread because of the other pieces of content and the help that you would get and what people are looking for that you didn't know that yeah. they didn't know. That's my hot take. I, I love it, man. And there are a number of solutions out there and people that are trying to do this well at scale and but I think it, you know, it's especially challenging as a large institution like like Miami. But I, I think that you're right. At the end of the day, people are going to make a decision based off of with the kind of experience that they had with the business that they're considering spending an incredible amount of time and money with. And if you can make that customer experience better and that prospective customer experience better, and and, and even just a little bit more personal, make it make it human that that can be the differentiator right between you and and you know their their next option so um i've heard that so many times where students and their families have said the place that they chose they they listed all of these pros and cons and then they said it came down to this person yep and so, you know at a, a lot of times at smaller colleges it's like it was this coach yep this yep. coach recruited me and the, every everything else about the place was a dump but i wanted <laughs> to play for that coach and that really does happen it does you know we kind of invest everywhere else except for trying to make those connections happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nate, this has been this has been awesome. For folks tuning in, really want to encourage you to connect with Nate on LinkedIn. I'll have a link to his uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes below. So you can just go find Nate, connect with him. He's a wealth of knowledge. And Nate, just thank you for your time, man. It's a, it's a real privilege to connect. And thanks for all the great work that you're doing. And keep pioneering, man. Well, thanks, Zach. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for, for what you're doing as well. It's just great to get so much information from your podcast. Too. Like I do a lot. 